Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Hey folks, and welcome to this week's episode of The Prestige, a podcast for film lovers, by film lovers. Each week we pick a film, we discuss that film, some of the ideas and themes it throws up, and some of its history, and uh, our reactions to that movie. We're currently in our fourth season, which means we are going genre by genre, and currently we are doing the martial arts genre. And we've gone all the way through from the sort of 20s to where we are now in the 70s. But Sam, we'll catch you more on that later. As always, we end the show with our recommendations, further watching as we view it, things inspired by the movie's week. And we always start with what else we've been watching, the other things, or reading, or listening to, or enjoying it since we last recorded. So Sam, what have you uh, got your mitts into in the last couple of weeks? Well, I was about to talk about something else. I was all get up to it, and then the hour before... Um, we recorded, I was just doing some work and my wife had on the new series of Queer Eye in the background where well, she was watching it was in the background for me and it's just bloody lovely I just, if you haven't seen Queer Eye and I know Rob you have so it's not for you, anyone else just if you've got Netflix just catch up on it uh, or Indeed, start with the first episode of the third series because it's brilliant. Um, and I said about it afterwards, I just, I, it's just such a wonderful TV program. Just everyone is really positive and lovely and life affirming, and I just, I can't speak highly enough about it. So yeah, it's a reboot of a sort of quasi reality TV show from the from the 2000s when there were lots of reality TV ideas flying around and it's remade and it's very well done and the production values have upped even further for this third series um, but without spoiling what makes it great which is just this core of humanity at the heart of it it's just lovely for a while I was toying with adding it to for my recommendation this week as well because I have been catching up on the new series um, and I, you're right it is just it is a, a giant warm hug in these supposedly maybe more dark times we live in currently very divisive times and this show is a feast of warmth and a feast of support and I'm, I'm right there with you on that so my watching of the week my my recommendation for this week isn't actually a TV show or a movie. It will shock to hear. Though it is a YouTube video about movies. So, you know, uh, adjacent to what we normally like. So I think I've mentioned this before, possibly. Um, there is a YouTuber by the name of Patrick H. Willems who is makes video essays about movies. Um, and they are some of the most in-depth and well-thought-through and exciting um, video essays that I've seen in a long time on YouTube. Um, if you haven't seen them, go check them out. He, he's had a lot of success talking about um, Marvel and the way they look, the colour grading Marvels a long time ago. Um, and he's done a lot of, you know, why this movie's great. He did a series on Michael Bay, which I really enjoyed. Um, but his last two videos have been part of what appears to be an ongoing series um, titled The Limitations of the MCU, in which he explains out that he's 
not very excited about seeing the next Marvel Universe. And he's not sure why. And this, at this point, is an hour long, between two half an hour videos, exploration of the whole universe, where it's come, where it's going to, and why it may be struggling as it moves forward. It's very good. It's very well thought through. It has full of, chocked full of interesting ideas. So, yeah, if you are on YouTube and you're interested in movies, you want to hear someone who's clearly well-versed in movies and well-versed in movie lore, this is a brilliant place to, to, to jump in. I'll get Sam to put the link in the show notes. Um, but if you haven't searched out his work, he's got a whole catalogue there and it's all brilliant. But these two I've been watching last week and are great. So, as Rob said earlier... We are continuing with our martial arts theme this week, uh, our martial arts season, and we've reached the 70s with 1973's Enter the Dragon. Roper, Williams, and Lee, the deadly three, penetrate the secret chambers of an evil island empire. What do you know about Han? He lives like a king on that island. Totally self-sufficient. A fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon. Enter the Dragon's probably the first film in our series that will be familiar, recognisable to an average Western film audience. It was sort of a, a crossover success for... Bruce Lee in his final completed film appearance and and I'll put something in the show notes about his life because it's just fascinating reading whatever you think about him and he packed a lot into I suppose 14 years of adulthood really and it stars Bruce Lee and John Saxon and Jim Kelly as three the three sort of martial arts um, experts drawn in by this um, tournament put on by a mysterious figure called Han, played by astonishingly young-looking Shi Qin, um, who I found out only only died relatively recently. He was, yeah, it's, it's astonishing his role in this film, um, and it. Tells the story of these three and their place in this tournament on Hans Island and the various ulterior motives that he has for them being there and also other things that he has going on at the same time. Rob, what were your thoughts? I mean, it's it's a dragon. It's, you know, it's a staple classic of everybody's growing up and watching movies. If If you've seen one martial arts movie, you've seen this movie. Um... And so... Weirdly, part of me went into it feeling a bit like, well, I know this film, I know this film, but you know, it, it's it is what it is. And sometimes I feel that f- films that kind of have that, that massive breakout iconicness of one genre maybe aren't the best. And having dived in it recently in the last uh, sort of couple of months with our, our watch through, I was thinking, am, am I going to see this as it's just the biggest one rather than the best one? Mm. Um, but hand on heart, I'm, I didn't. I thought the film was great. I think Bruce Lee is the star he is or was um, for a good reason. I think he has this amazing charisma to him and obviously his physicality is unparalleled. I think that the, um, the amazing support from, from John Saxon um, and from Jim Kelly as the other two co-leads, I suppose, 
um, were brilliant. I mean, they both they all brought a, a different sort of charisma to the role, but they equally were very charismatic. I think the action was very good. The fight, the, the organised fights were very sort of choreographed and brilliant, but also the more, you know, him breaking into the uh, underground base and his sister chasing through the streets earlier as two standouts that I really enjoyed in terms of like non-staged fighting, shall we say. Mm. And I just thought it was great. I thought it was beautifully shot. I thought it was well edited. I think acting, you know, it's... You do get a little bit of disconnect in these movies. Um, the tradition of Hong Kong movies not using sync sound on set means that all all the dialogue is ADR. ADR all the dialogue is added in afterwards um, via ADR so that you do get a weird kind of disconnect that's often been parodied from there on forth. But I brought in, I thought it was a great film and I was happy to revisit it. Mm. What about you, Sam? Um, I'm not sure, like you said, where to start with this film. Um, it, it's just Enter the Dragon. Um, mm. it, it, it's difficult with someone like this because it has been, there are so many things that have sort of, sort of taken something from this film, adapted, maybe parodied it, that it's kind of difficult to see it now as not in itself almost a parody of itself. See what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Um, but like, like you said, there are, um, there's lots to enjoy about the acting performances from the three of them, Lee and Saxon and Kelly. Um, I think... I agree with you about Bruce Lee's charisma and his um, his sort of fighting style and his physicality mm. all amazing. I just I don't know maybe it's something to do with the ADR, but I'm I'm not a huge fan of his acting performance in this film. Well, this is one of I think only one or two films where he uses his voice. Mm. He, he he was dubbed in a lot of his work, I think. Right. Okay. Um, but yes, yes, I, I, I see what you're saying there. Hmm. But I mean, having having said that, I mean it, it's just it's a delight at times, and when sort of he when Bruce Lee properly gets going, it it, it becomes. I, I don't really care that it's just him finding innovative ways to hit people. It's just mm. there's something beautiful mm. about it. Yeah, I think there's it's. I bet I enjoyed with this movie how there'll be a lot of action in it, but they're all very different fights mm. serving very different needs. Um, you know, his fight uh, with O'Hara is a very different fight because it's built on revenge and, as they see it, dishonour of O'Hara's actions. It's a very different fight to Jim Kelly's fight, which is much more of a, you know, knockout versus uh, Saxon's fight, which is much more of like a, a rope dope. You know, he's kind of, you know, taking the hot shots and building up the odds to sort of win over and it, I didn't enjoy the way that all the fights are also character moments mm. uh, rather than just being a shoehorned battle which these things can kind of become like each one each of the fights that we see focus are also they're also telling something about the character they're also focusing on why the people are and who they are and we're telling that through the physicality of the fight as well as we're telling it through through the language yeah and what Something that I was thinking about when watching this film is the sort of a thematic idea of strength and how that is, and it, it's something that 
Bruce Lee talked about a lot in his fighting mm. style, and just e- even that fight that's not really a fight, it's not a fight at all, when you get the cocky New Zealand guy taking on Bruce Lee on the on the boat, and mm. he says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you, and then leaves him stranded and both and everyone laughs in. You think, well, that's that's exactly what Bruce Lee was talking about, this idea of winning a fight or having the upper hand without necessarily having to fight. And that's something that was central to his style outside of films as well as within the film. And I think, talking about strength, there, there's an element of, of his non-physical strength this, mm. that his character particularly portrays. You know, other two characters, one is a, a womanizer and a gambler, um, and Jim Kelly is rash he's impatient um and he's he breaks the rules and ends up getting killed mm. and so both of those come with character flaws whereas bruce lee he starts the film a competent fighter and a you know a whole realized human being and then the movie the same he, he there is no character growth for him in this mm. movie um it's just he's just this living weapon dropped into a fight and wins the fight now it's beautifully done it's well shot and i really enjoy the gym and get to there but i'm not watching this for bruce lee's you know personal growth in the no. role um he has a a resilience and a core strength to him aside from his physical strength like the mental toughness and his fortitude there that i think brings his strength the strength of his character to that to the fore which means he can resist the uh, the allures of other things that uh, the other fighters can't and end up being their downfall. One of the things I really enjoyed was the backstories that we got when the three of them are crossing the lagoon and you have Bruce Lee thinking about his sister and Jim Kelly and the interaction with the with the bent coppers and you have John Saxon. Is John Saxon? Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. You have John Saxon on the golf course. And I, I like the way that that sort of told you all you needed to know about the backstory mm. of those three and quite cleverly sort of set up the characters of these three fairly quickly. It was real snapshots and of, of the time. I think also it's kind of... And this is one thing I want to talk about is this... The film feels like a different sort of film up, at the, up until now. The movies we've watched have been very much for a Japanese audience. They're made for Japanese, made in Japanese for a Japanese audience. This is, you know, we're looking at the seventies. Uh, you know, they're coming out of something more internally faking country that the inter- sort of Western leaders are meeting in in Hong Kong. So there's a, there's a change in in the world politique that is affecting these movies, and so this film feels made for a Western and European audiences in ways that other ones haven't. This film was designed to be a Bruce Lee vehicle to get him known to sort of Western audiences. But it feels like they are fusing the Hong Kong martial arts movie with a kind of James Bond spy movie with Mm. John Saxon's character and also his employment by the British Sea Service. And also with like, obviously the hot thing at the time, the Black Page movie. So Jim Kelly comes in very much from a, a black rotation role point of view. And it's taking those three things and sort of bringing them together. And I think from a film production point of view, it's incredibly savvy. But it means that whatever you're into at the time, you can latch onto this movie. 
if you're if you like martial arts movies brilliant lots of martial arts if you are like a james bond espionage 70s thriller kind of person brilliant there's that there's john's action there's you know the drug dealers you know, bond i think they uh, never say never or one of them had been in been in hong kong a couple of years before they say hong kong so there's this kind of going on and if you don't know the black rotation in the kaka movement that's there as well it feels I, mm. I, I want to make sure I don't think it's contrived that way. It wasn't set out to be a PR exercise. Um, but I think they thought this through and thought, how do we make this story appeal internationally? And they did very well. I think that's why the film works. Is you have these three almost very different people. And as you mentioned, them, these little snapshots, the little snapshots are wildly different stories. One is very, you know, yeah. uh, Eastern philosophy, you know, that the talk that Bruce has with his mentor is very Eastern philosophy. Um, and then you have much more of a blockation, you know, fighting with the police, that kind of Harlem lifestyle. And then you've got, you know, a bit more of a playing golf and fighting off um, thugs, sort of thriller sort of thing. And little, um, the, the, you're playing on context here, you're playing on what the audience knows about other movies, and you're pulling those references together. Mm. And that works. I think, actually, going on what you said there, I think this may be why... I like this film. I really like this film, even though I'm not a huge fan of Bruce Lee's acting performance at times. Because what draws me to this film is the black exploitation mm-hmm. element. I think Jim Kelly's brilliant, and I love that story. And I was a little bit sad, spoilers, folks, to see that he dies relatively early on in the film. And it just. And that's that's something that I mean. That is how this film can draw me in. Without, I mean, you say, well, End of the Dra- Dragons, a Hong Kong martial arts film. Well, it's kind of not. Mm. It's whatever film you want it to be, and that's that's why this film is brilliant for me because I don't necessarily have to be completely on board with Bruce Lee, and I'm still going to love this film. I think that it gives the audience multiple routes in. And I think mm. that may, maybe why yeah. it, I mean, obviously Bruce Lee is is his name, but like this is why his movie is endured in ways maybe other ones haven't, and other films that have tried to do this sort of thing haven't, is because of that. Because if you like yourself, Jim Kelly is who you can hang your enjoyment on. For me, I really like Bruce Lee, and so for me, I hang that on on him. Um, and mm. you know, I think I must say Jim Kelly this time reached out to me. I never sort of tagged him before when watching it but I'm like you know what I really, really see something there and I like John Saxon I like the, I like the character but he's secondary whereas you can hang you know there's a revenge movie in here as well there's also an mm. espionage thriller movie in here um, and I just think it's it's so many things and it ties them all together so brilliantly we often talk on the show about how on about how some movies don't know what they want to be or they try and do, they, they, they kind of mix their metaphors, and sometimes they are trying to be too funny and too serious at the same time. Whereas this movie somehow it walks that line of being all these things. Um, and I think that's its real strength. One other thing that I think, I don't this this may be related, is, is the way that the fight scenes are shot, and the way that you have. Particularly in in later scenes, you have Roper fighting Bolo, Hans, um, Henchman, and you have sort of the fight scene from Roper's point of view, and then from Bolo's point of view, and it's that that's the that's the way that it gets you invested in this from a 
from cin- cin- cinematographic point of view, like you feel on all sides of every fight at mm-hmm. once, and that's kind of what the film does with those different stories. It will, rather than being sort of mishmash, like you said, it will will genuinely invest in putting you in in a position to enjoy any one of those narratives. I think also for me, it was... We've seen a lot of martial arts, obviously, a lot of samurai stuff in the last few months. But for me, this was the one where it really... I suppose the brutality of the fighting hit home. Um, It was beautiful. Mm. I think some of the fights were very beautifully choreographed. But also, like, people brutally die in this movie. So sometimes we're mostly off screen, you know, but you see a young Jackie Chan get his head snapped. Um, you know, you see a lot, he, he jumps on people's chests to kill them. And he does kill people in a very brutal manner. And I think that, I don't know whether I enjoyed it, but I appreciated it. That they could take this quite balletic, quite beautiful martial arts at times, but also make it really kind of really brutal and really vicious. Um, Especially the character of Bolo, which I really I thought was like a, a very a small part, but a really kind of memorable, impressive part. That he is this unstoppable but killing machine. Like he isn't, he has nowhere got the finesse of of, of the maintenance, but he doesn't need it. He needs finesse. He's just got raw power, um, and you can see him standing next to Bruce Lee. And Bruce Lee is like zero percent body fat. He is toned and he is muscly, but he looks like a skinny rake compared to Bolo. And I thought that was a really interesting like. Yeah dichotomy of the two of them like like one's the master obviously the other one is like he's still in a, he's in a very efficient brutal machine and that's his job one one thing i did and it did want to talk about is is the way in which you you know right from the beginning that bruce lee is the star mm. of this film and i know i've talked about for me is the williams character maybe you might engage john saxon's character more but ultimately this is a blue bruce lee vehicle and it's the way that the film sort of zooms in on his face the moment he's on screen. And that happens later as well. I think... I wonder whether it's me looking back on this now, but it just feels a bit telegraphed. Um, but I wonder whether that's something that needed to be done in 1973. It needed the camera to say, look, this is who you need to be looking at. Yeah, I mean, I think from what I've read up, it was designed to be a Bruce Lee vehicle. Like, the, one of the points of the movie was to introduce Western audiences to him. He was already a big star already in Hong Kong, but this was his big step. Um, so I think, yeah, that, I think the film does linger there, but I think that was one of the intentions of the movie was to linger there. Um, mm. So I, I, I agree, and I think that's where it comes from. Right. Okay. One thing that I thought, which I... We've talked about this a couple of times here in this, is that the film did a lot of work in a long shot. Um, Better leave the fight scenes with Bruce Lee's sister, or his character's sister, and him at the end. Like, there's nowhere to hide with a lot of these things. We've talked in the past about the close ups and you kind of be cut between them, and how Western movies these days, like, you don't see the punches in it. You can, have, you can cut around all these things. Whereas here, there's a lot more mm. pulling back, and you get, you get Bruce Lee standing with nunchucks just fighting people off for two minutes. And a highly choreographed, and the same for his, when his sister was running through the streets earlier when she killed herself. Like, it's... It, I like that they pulled back, and you've got, the, A, a sense of place, but also a sense of, of the physicality of their fight. And we saw it, I think, in almost all the movies we've seen so far, there's been a, sort of a couple of fights where they just pull the camera back, and you get longer takes, and you get longer shots, and you get these real blatant movements of people, and you see the fight happening. 
um, in a way that you don't in other movies. And I, I'm, I'm glad to see that coming through, that whilst it became more westernised, certainly, it didn't lose that tradition, traditional idea of that you are showing off the martial arts. It isn't about just the fight. It isn't about winning the fight. It's about showing off the martial arts as well. And you have that even... I mean, not not thinking about the fight scenes, but when when the fighters arrive on Hans Island, you have that shot of a, a few people exercising the exercise yard, and then the camera pulls back, and then pulls back again, and it's not that they're revealing the whole shot and the the extent of the focus on martial arts in this compound. Mm. Mm. No, I, I agree. I agree. So, mm. Sam, do you have some recommendations for us? Yes. Are they less weird than last week's? Well, yeah. And that, actually, I'm a bit disappointed in myself because they're quite straightforward. Um, so, the first one is Anna Capri, who was the, pretty much the only Western actress, I think, um, in this film, um, who was playing um, John Saxon's love interest. Um, was also in the TV show The Man from Uncle, which ran from 1964 to 68. And I believe I saw some repeats of it on TV, Sunday Tea Time in the late 80s, early 90s. So it's a bit of a nostalgia thing for me. Um, I haven't seen it recently. I don't know how it holds up. It holds it up certainly right. won't certainly won't be anything like the recent film. But that's my first recommendation. My second recommendation is um, is a composer actually, because one of the things that makes this or that links this so heavily to a Bond film um, at times, and not just the the Roper narrative, but all of the narratives, is the music. And there's this sort of two bass guitars throughout but there's just something very 70s spy movie about it and the this composer the Argentine Lelo Schifrin also worked on the music department for a film that doesn't get much credit now uh, but which was genuinely good and which sparked a whole host of action spy movies from the mid 90s onwards and it's the original um, well, not original, original, but the first Tom Cruise Mission Impossible from 1996. So those those are my two recommendations. Um, Rob, whilst with it, it much more insanity. So I'm 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 gonna jump forward a few years, eleven years, if you Um John uh, John Roper or John Saxon, even sorry Roper, uh, but John Saxon is a actor who. I recognise quite heavily, and anyone who's a fan of the horror genre is also going to recognise. Pops up in 1994's A Nightmare on Elm Street, where he plays Lieutenant Thompson, uh, the sort of main sort of father figure within the movie. Um, he pops up a lot in all the sequels. So to me, he will always be from the Nightmare on Elm Street series, and it was interesting to see him do this uh, when I clearly know him as something else. So that's Revelation 1. Revelation 2... Um, we mentioned it a little bit earlier and briefly that the kind of the sort of tenant of this movie, the idea of being called onto an island to fight um, as a cover for something else, and this, this idea of bringing together the best fighters of the age is something that has been 
repeated and parodied. And there are many movies down the, down the years that parody this this style of this, this framing device, I suppose, uh, quite heavily. But I want to talk about a movie that I utterly, utterly adore. That the rest of the world seems very willing, very practically to hate and, dis- and dismiss. Um, and that is the 1995 movie Mortal Kombat. If anyone's played the Mortal Kombat games, they are essentially this: that they are, they are people are called together to fight. Um, all fighting games have some sort of sort of frame like this. Um, this movie stars Christopher Lambert, and that's pretty much it. Um, it is silly and it is overblown. It is nineties and it is terrible in all the right ways. And I have such a deep abiding love for this movie. It has one of the best theme tunes of any movie ever, ever. If you haven't heard the uh, Mortal Kombat theme tune, you've just got to, like, dig it out, isn't it? And if you haven't seen it, it is, it is a complete 90s time capsule of a movie um, in a way that only a movie with a three-handed fighting demon could be. So it's it's a movie that the world moved on from. Um, but to me, it's in the same box as the original Street Fighter movie with Van Damme, which I also deeply love. So if you haven't seen it, and there's every chance you haven't seen it, because a lot of people haven't, um, it's really, really worth finding some time to go and see it, um, if only on my say so. But uh, if anyone knows me and knows the kind of movies I like and enjoy, you can take that with a pinch of salt, depending on how much you agree with my my, my choices and my tastes. But really, it's brilliant in a terrible way. Sam, yes, <laughs> I told you I'd bring in the crazy shit. You did, yes. I mean, can it get any more crazy than that? We will see you next week. We um, will. <laughs> next week we are moving into the 80s and we're looking at the, well, another sort of seminal, in inverted commas, Western film. It's uh, Karate Kid. So we'll see what your recommendations based on that are, Rob. I do love me the 80s. Yeah. Till then, guys, you can find us both on Twitter at Precious Podcast. You find just me at life underscore academic. And you can find just me at Rob Kaiju. And we'll see you guys back here in two weeks.